0: Hi, I'm Justin King and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five star recruit, all Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Hey, welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast. Empowering the next generation of leaders by equipping them with a detailed blueprint to success while using sports is our catalyst. Today, we get an inside look at the supply chain talent acquisition of big-time college football with Penn State General Manager, Andy Frank, man. Welcome on.
1: Justin, thanks for having me, man. It's good stuff.
0: Oh, man. appreciate it, man. Thanks for thanks for taking the time out, man. It's busy time in the recruiting season. We got transfer portal. got the second signing day coming up. All that good stuff. But as a prime decision maker for at a power five university, I mean, this is a stat that I think has been getting overshadowed a little bit, but out of the last seven years, you guys have won 11 games. We've won 11 games uh, in four of those seven seasons. What, I mean, you've seen that, I mean, that's crazy to say out loud, like, like if we just take that in a little bit, 11 wins over the past uh, four times over the past seven years. It's hard to win college football games, and that's a, a credit to you guys, both on and off the field. So jumping into that, you've seen the gumbo prepare for a while. What do you think the main ingredient to that success is, both on and off the field, to have that type of success?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think ultimately it's people. Um, and you, you got to have you know great people in, in the organization. Um, that typically starts from the top and kind of makes its way you know throughout the organization from a staff perspective, obviously, but then players. you, you got to have – I think we all know that this is a, a talent – Business in terms of talent acquisition and having having the guys on the field that can that can play the game at the level you want, but part of that is having good people all the way through the you know the organization. And you typically get the most out of people when the people are around them are you know quality people and are good at what they do, um, are, are are talented in their own rights. Um, I don't think that there's any necessarily. One way of being successful, I think there's lots of different ways. There's, you know, people that, as far as leaders that are, you know, very hands-on. There's those that are hands-off. But ultimately, you've got to have good, qualified people from staff to players. um, And everybody's got to be pulling that rope in the same direction. Everybody's got to understand what direction you're pulling that rope and why you're pulling at the rope. I think that's something that today is maybe more important than ever, is people understanding um, you know, why the organization, you know, approaches things a certain direction. Um, and so everybody can kind of be all on the same page and, and in it together. Um, and I think we've had a, you know, a great run. One of the things that's great about working here is you are around good people and the good players, as far as, you know, talent-wise is one thing, but it, it's amazing to get around our guys and just the, the type of people they are. And it makes coming to work a lot of fun.
0: Most definitely. That's a great answer, too, because even when we think about you say like both on and off the field, just understanding that football operations are just a football organization is a machine. I think a lot of people lose sight of that. They just see maybe the coaches, you know, the head coach and the nine or 10 other coaches recognize there's like another 60 people, 70 people that are working on a constant basis to make the boat you know, run at the end of the day. And especially with, we talk about like the talent that's coming through there, but also the the coaches, coaches, assistant coaches that have gone there and kind of sprung board their careers, whether head coaches, Huff, you got Joe Moorhead getting his bounce back to, is another head coach, Ricky Ronnie? I mean, the list continues to go. Coach Fessler kind of comes through the, through that aspect um, as a, once a walk on. So yeah. So full, full spectrum of people, both on and off the field, just understanding that piece of building a full organization. So, Get into the background a little bit, man. You speak about like where you're from and like how'd you get into football.
1: Yeah, so I, I grew up just north of Detroit. Um, went to a high school in Sterling Heights, a school called Stevenson High School there. Um, had a really good, you know, you know, football experience and sports experience. I was in sports all the way growing up. Played soccer initially. Um, I, I wasn't somebody who played football when I was five. Um, parents didn't let me play until I was in, in middle school. So seventh grade was the first time I played football, uh, but played all sports, baseball, uh, played basketball, eventually got to the point in high school where I couldn't dribble with my left or shoot. So basketball was was done for me, uh, but it was around sports. Uh, my dad was a high school swim coach, um, so I, I was around it a bunch um, growing up, uh, played football all the way you know, through high school, ran track all the way through high school. Like I said, gave up basketball because... So I wasn't as good at it, um, but then went on, um, went on to Princeton and played um, four years there. Was not a great player, but you know, still loved it and 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 made it something that was you know a big part of my college experience, um, and and found a way to be a contributor, even though I probably wasn't the best player on the team by any stretch. Um, but found my role on special teams and 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 enjoyed that and was you know helped the team in, in that regard. Um, after school, um once I finished college, I went back to Michigan um, and was basically working for an engineering firm. Um and that was a good experience. It was a, around a lot of great people, learned a lot with it. Um and, and when I was doing it, my cousin at the time was coaching high school ball at at, at Warren Lincoln, where he went to school, and actually where my dad went to school. Um and he asked me, Hey, you want to just come out and, and help us, you know, coach DBs a little bit? I said, sure, it was JV football. I'd leave work a little bit early. Uh, my, my boss let me do it, which was awesome. Went down there and, and coached and, and loved it. Um, the next year, I kind of worked a deal out with my boss at the engineering firm. Hey, I'm gonna leave every day at about 2.30, is that okay, come in a little bit early? And they were great about it. And so I did that for the you know four years um, and then was looking around to try and, I kind of knew the engineering thing probably wasn't the long-term for me. Um, I, I enjoyed the company. I enjoyed a lot of things about the work, but I wasn't passionate about it. And really, it came down to everybody's different, but I would leave work and not think about it until I was driving in the next day. And that wasn't me. That wasn't something that, you know, interested me as far as a career. Um, And so, and at work, I found myself thinking about the football piece of things. So it was actually kind of funny. My college coach was in town. We had some type type of gathering. And. Just started kind of picking his brain about, hey, you know, if I wanted to get back into this at a, at a higher level, what what should I do? And um, so I started. He said, hey, you could become a graduate assistant. And I said, that sounds interesting. He said, well, I kind of asked him, how, how do you get into it? I don't know anybody. I know, know you and a few other coaches, but I don't really know anybody. So he just said, hey, you know, if you can get a GA job, that's a great way in. They're really hard to get, and they're probably harder to get in a lot of cases at bigger schools because they've got more players that are, you know, interested and in, they're gonna go with their former player. So he said, Hey, try and find a few schools that are maybe a little bit harder to get into school wise for grad school um and, and apply to those schools and then reach out to those coaches. And so I, I did that and and you know it's kind of the connections piece and sometimes you don't know where they're at. Um I called I called Vanderbilt and talked to the director of football operations and actually left a message. Um it's kind of a funny story. So he calls me back and he says five eight six where 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 are you from? And my area code I said, Well I'm from Detroit. And he said whereabouts i said well city just north of detroit called strolling heights he's like whereabouts and i'm trying to figure out what's going on here i'm like i grew up at 17 mile and ryan he's like you're not going to believe this but i grew up at 15 and ryan and so you know kind of talking a little bit further and um he's talking about his family i'm talking about my family and i'm like yeah my dad was a strolling heights police officer he's like he's like are you pulling my leg because my 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 two brothers work for the police department and i was like this is wild so Kind of that was the connection. Didn't know, didn't know him. Um, but then, kind of, um, you know, he was like, "Hey, you know, I don't have anything available for you right now, but you know, thanks for calling." Type of deal. And I called them back, you know, a few weeks later. I said, "Hey, you got some summer camps? Could I come down and work them?" And went down and worked those camps. Um, and they were getting ready to promote their GA to an off-the-field role at the time. And you know, said, "Hey, you want to come back down and interview?" And I did, and was was fortunate to get it. Um, and kind of, that's kind of how I got into it there. GA at, at Vanderbilt for three years. And then again, was 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 fortunate again, when I finished my GA job, I I really didn't find what I was looking for from a coaching perspective, and I did want to coach, and there's still probably a little bug in me there um, to coach. I I missed that a little bit, but um, they ended up creating a job for me um, in an off-the-field role, um, and was fortunate to that. Spent I want to say three months or so where I was unemployed until a job actually got created, and. In that three months, I actually did a, a pretty cool, you know, recruiting project, and was just, you know, coming to the office every day working for free. Um, and the job that was kind of an operations recruiting type of job morphed itself into a recruiting job. There wasn't a recruiting person there at the time, and it kind of just kind of developed into that. Uh,
0: so, when you started that pro- that recruiting project after you like you wanted to become a coach. And did you like fall in love with the recruiting operations aspect during that time? Like the time that you were unemployed?
1: Yeah, I did. And it was interesting because it it, it fits me in terms of my personality. Um, It was maps and and, and different things along those lines and different diagrams and all, all those things and trying to figure out, you know, where should, at the time it was Vanderbilt, where should Vanderbilt recruit to get the most bang for our buck? And that was, you know, was challenging and interesting and there was no right answer, but there was better answers than maybe what we were doing at the time. And um, it it really kind of, I enjoyed it and and, and kind of fell in love with it and have never really kind of looked back.
0: Well, Man, that's, I mean, that's a crazy entry point into the whole football space because at that time, James was, James isn't the head coach, right?
1: No, Bobby Johnson was the head coach um, at the time um, and worked for a great staff there. Um, Had had some success, obviously not enough success, um, but it was, at the time, it was, I mean, I got there in 05, you know, this was probably 2008, maybe. Um, there weren't many, you know, now we've got a recruiting staff of, I want to say 12 people or something like that. At the time, you had an administrative assistant, maybe, in, that worked in recruiting, and you had um, an on-field coach. The rules actually required an on-field coach to be the recruiting coordinator. Um, oh, man. And So, thinking about that today is, is almost comical, but... I'm not saying Vanderbilt was the first person or I was the first person, but that was about the era when these positions started getting created and that kind of just took off from there.
0: Oh, no, most definitely. And for the listeners, I don't know if you guys know if there's a coaching transition, a lot of times in sports in general, like they clean house and bring in their own people. So can we go into a little bit about how you end up staying, being retained by James to continue to go into recruiting? Because like, I think that's a that's a step in the story that's just... I mean that's rare for most people when they're out of program and they clean house.
1: Yeah, so like you said, a lot of times a new coach comes in, the people are there before, um, unfortunately get let go, and you understand why. Um, I enjoyed Vanderbilt, I enjoyed Nashville, so I, I had every intentions of trying to stay. So the the positive of being, um, particularly back then when there was only you know one or two recruiting people, and I was you know, overseeing recruiting at the time is you have a lot of knowledge that a new coach needs when, when they come in. So you, you're put right in front of that person. And you're probably at the timing of the year because it's typically a coaching change happens sometime around December. They're finishing up. Signing day was a little bit different back then, timing wise, um, but they're racing to signing day to try and finish the class. And you've got a lot of the information, which is, which is helpful. Um, you're also not a coach. And a lot of times coaches know a lot more coaches so they've got their corners coach picked out. They've got their running backs coach picked out. And particularly in, in Coach's case, you know he, he wasn't coming from being a head coach. So he didn't necessarily have a recruiting person that was his guy. So I think he gave me an opportunity. Um, and then the other things that you think you got to be smart about, it, I I reached out to people that I knew um, that, that knew Coach Franklin. And, and one of them was Charles Huff. And it's interesting. It goes back to the connections. And I'm, I think connections are really important. Ultimately, the connection allows you to prove yourself in a way. I think sometimes people think that connections are to just get you the job. I don't really believe in that so much.
0: That's, um, a, good po- that's a great point.
1: But um, So I, it's funny. I, Charles Huff was at, was at TSU um, back in the day. He's now the, the head coach at Marshall. And we were coming back from a, a coach's convention. And I think we were at the airport together flying back into Nashville. And we just started talking. Um, and so he and I kind of got to you know be fairly close at the time he's, he was either on Maryland staff at the time when coach was coming from there, or I knew he had been. So I called him up and said, Hey, okay, what, what do I need to know? And so he gave me some pretty good tips. And it's funny because those tips having been around coach now for as long as I have 12 plus years, whatever it is, yeah. they, they still hold true. They're there things that he values. And so I knew going in, Hey, I'm going to prepare myself um, to put myself in the best position with, not only what any head coach would probably want or need, but in particular, you know, how Coach Franklin views views things. So um, I had, you know, books prepared for him and that type of deal because I knew um, he'd want something tangible. He'd want to be able to see it. You know, those things were important to him, not just, you know, talking to him about it, but seeing it. Um, and so worked in, in you know, myself and, and and Michael Hazel, who was there at the time, were you know, really the only two, um, other than a couple of administrative assistants, the only two, like, people that stayed I think one coach as well um and and I think a lot of that had to do with um you know knowing a little bit about coach ahead of time but also being in a position when it came to the recruiting to you know be on that job interview for a a month and a half or whatever it was and I'll say the other thing I think coach did a great job of back then I could be a little bit off on my timing but I want to I feel like he brought us in right before Christmas time and said hey you know I'm not. I'm not retaining you. I'm, I'm hiring you for this job, and I thought that was something that, you know, stuck with with myself, and it was also you know to go home for Christmas and know, hey, I'm in a I'm in a spot that's a little different than going home for Christmas. And you don't know, am I going to get called? Up while I'm at home celebrating, and that's a not tough coming Christmas back. Eve. So that was that was really good, and so I think you obviously fortunate again, but and then have been a, have a chance to to be with Coach ever since.
0: No, that's a, that's a, that's a cool story. And if you could just for uh, so people to understand, like showing your value to a, a head coach or a coach that's coming in, you do have to understand and get externally focused to see like, all right, what, where does my value fit with this person? Can you tell us a little bit about what it was, things that James valued that you showed him? Because like I always tell the stories that I work in at Penn state for the first point and like the football space, like it was just very, it's like professional uh, development or career development, you know, one, I mean, top level, right. Where you can go and it's like, all right, if I'm turning anything in, it has to look this way, or is this is going to get checked and this has to be that. And so I, I appreciate it now. You know what I mean? So could you tell me a little bit about those? Absolutely.
1: I think that's an interesting thing. And if, if you look at, you know the GAs that have come through and worked for Coach Franklin. You got you got Joe Brady. You've got a bunch of guys. You got Andrew Jackson, who's coaching D line now at, at West Virginia. There's a bunch of guys that have gone on to, you know, bigger and better things from that kind of training ground. And that's really for everybody. And I think Coach has a standard, um, and that standard is is non negotiable, and it's all the time. And he he's he's really it's really impressive his ability to hold you to it and hold you to it always um, in a way that, you know, you can understand and be like, Oh, I get why he wants it this way. Um, I think that's something from a training standpoint, the details, you know, I mentioned, I I had a kind of a recruiting book that I gave when he came in, it had a, it had a cover with a picture on it. Does the picture matter? Maybe it doesn't really truly matter, but the image of it does. Um, is it, you know, detailed, Uh, I use an example, like we've got interns and, You know, one of my pet peeves is is people who can't hole punch. It sounds silly, but you will get people who use a hole puncher and it's like they hole punch it two different ways and now it doesn't fit in the binder. Like things like that are things that when you work for coach, there's an expectation that it's going to be done, you know, I don't want to say perfect, um, but it's going to be done to a certain level. Um, It's funny because, you know, I I may be making this story up, but we were sitting in the, in our staff room there when coach had first got there and then we had board tags back then and you kind of had like a, a plastic tag and inside the plastic tag was a piece of paper with the with a prospect and you'd put them up on the board and you kind of put them around and coach had kind of moved one around and he, i was there and i think i'll tell the story if it, as it's true i'm not sure it is really true but um he had one up there and it was just a little crooked and i kind of went behind him, and I. Tilted it to be, you know, perfectly straight, and he's like, "Yeah, I think that was the moment I knew I was, hey, I'm probably going to hire this guy," you know, before because it, it was like one of those things, like, "Hey, it bothered me that it wasn't straight," and that's the type of, you know, detail and, and little things that, you know, you need it that to, to win at the highest highest levels because, it's interesting when you get to the top tier of college football, people start to think, "Oh, it's easy," no, not really. The margin for error just gets smaller. Yes, yeah, as <laughs> you get higher up and You've got better talent, let's just say, than maybe some of the teams you might play. But eventually, if you want to get where you need to get to, that margin for error keeps getting smaller. So I think that was you know, a big thing in the the process. I, fortunately for me, in terms of working for coach, I was already pretty detailed and pretty, I don't know, with the AD, not ADHE, but more kind of hypersensitive like, to like things like
0: ocd a little um, bit about like this needs to be this way yeah like, so that, that this was needs to be. that
1: was big for me i think the other thing too in terms of you know impressing you know coaches in particular uh, i'll go back and we had that, that first recruiting cycle um before coach franklin got hired um the way the college rules work you only have at the time i think it was actually nine assistant coaches and one head coach only those people could go on the road recruiting to evaluate kids well you have a coaching change bunch of coaches are gone they put the people that were in the office um, on the road recruiting so I had gone on the road recruiting for you know a couple weeks while we did not have a head coach and I was fortunate enough I went and watched a a state championship game of a a kid named Joe Townsend who was a a local Nashville area product Um, he had come to our camp a bunch and and all those things and so we kind of got down to the end of of the recruiting cycle and Joe, Joe we had kind of a group of guys that were kind of O-linemen, D-linemen type of guys that we were trying to decide, hey, we're going down to our last scholarship or two. Who do we want to take? And the board kind of kept dwindling away. And and, and Joe was my guy. And I, I kind of, from the beginning, I was just like, hey, I've seen this kid. I just, I just know he's going to be, I don't know if he's going to be an All-American, but I know this kid can play for us. I've seen enough. He does enough different things. No player is perfect, but I was confident in that. And so for a first staff, it kind of just, my rankings was different than other people because I had the, the more information than they did. You know, maybe they were, just, the new, new staff was just looking at film and I had a little more information. And so it kind of just kept ticking away, ticking away. And it finally got to the point where he was the take that was, was there. He was committed to, you know, Middle Tennessee State at the time. And I kind of just, I was like, guys, we need to take this guy. We need to take this guy. Fortunately for me, he came there and became a good player. You know, it was a three three year star, three plus year starter for us at center, and was was a really good player. So I think that's another way that you're you're. I've been in it long enough. I've been wrong lots on prospects, uh, but I think having that one as a starting point to impress the new head coach was helpful because the kid got here. He was, you know, he was Coach Franklin's type of kid. The way he worked, the way he went about his business, and then he, he had success.
0: That's a, that's a great point. Cause as and personnel or just being that value add to the head coach, like you have to come with a different perspective and that different perspective has to produce, produce the results that we all want. That is universal. Right. So like, that's a great point. And I went jumping into, you know, now your time as the general manager at Penn state, you tell me like, just the listeners that they don't understand what the general manager does uh, at a football program, like your responsibilities and duties?
1: Yeah, I, I joke about this sometimes. I don't know sometimes if I understand uh, what, <laughs> what it is. It's, you know, I think every place does it a little bit differently. Um, for us here, uh, I oversee the, the recruiting department um, and, and try to make sure that we're structured the way that is most efficient for the organization. Um, try to make sure that, you know, the people in the recruiting department are, allowed to be in positions that, you know, provide the opportunity for them to be successful with, you know, who they are, how they, you know, how they work, how they operate. Um, I do a lot of things in terms of, you know, I'm our liaison to a number of different places. Compliance office is is one of them. Try to make sure that we, as a football staff, always understand what's going on out there. Um, uh, I do a lot of stuff when it comes to roster management, you know terms of you know ultimately at the college football level the head football coaches if we think about nfl is the gm i've got the title but the head coach makes the final decisions we, we all know that but try and provide input there in terms of our roster how many guys we need at each position um for me right now i, I wish i was watching more film than i do um, but i do you know i make it an effort to as things get further in the process and a kid becomes hey this kid might really Commit to us. You got to watch that film. You got to know. You got to have an opinion on those kids. Um, do I watch a bunch of kids before we offer them? I don't. We've got a you know a lot of people on staff that do that and do a great job of it. Um, and so, but being able to add that perspective because the I think the other thing that's interesting um, as far as um, never been in the NFL as far as a worker or a player, but um, at the college level. You know, you get different perspectives, whatever seat you sit in. Yeah, I've, I've been around, you know, a bunch of different coaches and they sit in a certain seat. And no matter who the person is in the seat, they see things through that lens. And because of who they are and their life experiences and their abilities, they might see it a little bit differently, but a coach has a certain perspective. A recruiting staff member has a certain perspective. I think the thing that's interesting about my role is, I probably, I, I I don't do this because I'm trying to agree with the head coach, but I probably view things through a lens more similar to his than most people on staff. Um, Just because for me, whether the offense of player, I don't have an allegiance to an offensive player or a defensive player. I don't have an allegiance to a special teams player. Um, As a position coach, you've got an allegiance to your room and you should, and you absolutely should. And you're going to have, as you get down and, I'll, I'll joke sometimes, or people will joke me sometimes. I, I try to view it from thirty thousand feet. I might not know the nitty gritty details, but I can see how that one thing, you know, that house down there might impact the other house, you know, across across the way. Whereas if you're a coach, you may see the nitty gritty details but you might not realize what's going on somewhere else um, as far as the numbers and those things. So try to provide that perspective um, to the staff and and the coach Franklin, obviously is, you know, he ultimately has to make the decisions.
0: Um, That's a perfect, that's a great point. Even just to say that you view it like the head coach, because I think that's the number one job of the recruiting and personnel department is to kind of be the, the holders of the program, right? Cause I, I joke around with assistant coaches. Like they're all independent contractors. Everybody is out working for themselves. Like someone has to protect the house regardless of how things move. Even when we're talking about building staffs off the field or on the field, or just keeping the same identity when we're evaluating players. Cause you're talking 11 different uh, personalities that have to coach a certain position that have the same say in the evaluation process and all those different things. So already recruiting and personnel is a lot more dynamic in college than it is in the NFL. I remember just dealing with my friends in the NFL or different uh, guys in personnel. And I'm like, yeah, we watch about seven, 800 guys a year. They're like, what? Like we watch like 150, 200. Like there's not that you know, who's coming out of school. You know, who might be coming out. We don't have to pay attention to them because it's a three month, but we're evaluating and recruiting for three years to get one player. So just all the details that go into that. Now we throw in NIL to the mix. How is the NIL process or just the new rule change with that and Transfer Portal change the recruiting process for you?
1: Yeah, obviously new rules result in having to come up with new plans. You know, you you go about your business with a certain set of rules for a long time. You start to kind of hone in on how you want to go about it. You know, what you believe in, um, what you think works for you and your program, what doesn't work um, with the transfer portal becoming obviously very prevalent and then NIL becoming a a big deal as well. We're all out here trying to adjust and the reality is there isn't a blueprint for it and there isn't um, someone who you can necessarily go to and like, hey, you've worked in this industry for 10 years. How do you do this? You know, if if, I kind of say that sometimes too about like the role that I sit in and kind of when I got started, we were making it up as we went along, you know, the, the, the off field recruiting position, those of us that were in it fairly early on, they were new jobs. You we were making it up as you go along. Um, whereas if you're a defensive coordinator, there's been defensive coordinators coaching football for a long, long, long time. And I'm not saying it's the same. It's, it's changed a bunch, but you learned from that person and you learned, you, you, you were a Corners coach first and then, or you were a GA first, let's just say, and then you were a corners coach and then you were a coordinator. But all the way through the process, you were watching someone do that job before you got it. So going back to the recruiting rules, you didn't have, you didn't have that. You were kind of making it up as you went along. Um, I think the same thing is, is true now for NIL and, and for the transfer portal. The whole industry is we're, and it sounds bad, but we're making it up as we go along. We're trying to figure out <laughs> what's going to work for us and what's going to work for us here at Penn State may not work for somebody else, either where they're located geography wise, where they're located um, from a conference standpoint, resource standpoint. So you really have to, you know, best practices you're trying to figure out, okay, what is everybody else doing? Why are they maybe doing it that way? What of that could apply to us? What doesn't apply to us? Um, And I think that's something that we're all really trying to do it. It's hard because it is crazy and you talk about the dynamic nature of college football and recruiting that makes it hard it. adds a whole nother recipe to it. It also is fun because it's a new challenge. It's a, okay, hey, it's painful along the way because you're going to make mistakes, but the people that get it the most right are going to be the people that have the most success. And when I say the most right, the most right for them, because it is, it is going to be different everywhere. Um, so, I actually, I, I do enjoy it. Um, I do hope that we get to a day where it does settle down uh, and it does become more evened out. Um, you know, you mentioned again, like the dynamic part about, the, you know, college versus NFL. One thing I don't think people take into account is in college, there is a calendar and there is a year by year timeline. But that year by year timeline is essentially different for every prospect you recruit yes they sign on signing day and that's the majority of them but when they decide when they actually decide is different for every single kid so if you're an nfl scout and um, there's tons of challenges of being an nfl scout again the margin of error is probably even smaller. it's definitely smaller for being an nfl scout but you know hey this is the senior bowl this is the combine this is when we have to draft them. And so they can have a process of how they go about their evaluation all the way through. For us, we, we got to be ready to say yes or no to a kid at, any, at a moment's notice. And I think going back to the transfer portal piece of this, you really found it this, this year with the transfer portal window. Um, and I know there are a lot of coaches out there that that wanted a window of time where it was smaller. I would have preferred and I think we would have preferred it to be an open open-ended window because the way it's set up right now everybody goes in whatever 1500 1800 whatever it ended up being everybody goes in in a month and a half period you can make all of those decisions like that Um, and so to me if a kid wants to go in before that it makes it so it's a, a maybe a little more spread out pace of and maybe a calmer pace of making decisions as opposed to the frantic Okay, we got to decide. We got to have we gotta get this kid's transcript. Then we got to get the syllabi for the class to see if they're going to transfer in. Now we got to get him to apply to school. The kid hasn't picked you yet, but you're trying to get him to apply to school. And the kid looks at you like you're crazy. It's like I don't even know if I'm coming to Penn State yet. Why do I need to apply to school? It's like, well, we're going to go to Christmas here, and we're not going to have as many people working. Yeah, you get people to work over the holiday, and that's a huge help. But like all of those things, it becomes a it just becomes a race that you don't know if you're going to get to the finish line in time for
0: most definitely. I mean, like you said, there's so many different aspects just getting into a school, right? Just uh, make sure they do their normal application or when the actual offer letter goes out and just the different offers that go like, yeah, the building of the relationship, the continuous evaluation after the offer, like the whole, the recruiting process is so dynamic that it, it gets these guys. I feel like an opportunity to just get ready for the real world to be completely honest. And now when you bring the, monetary value up with nio and different things of that nature i mean i mean the the experience is right there at the forefront have you seen any athletes i mean i know when i was recruiting or we were doing the thing um you could tell which some some guys that had a good grips on the on the recruiting process they had a you know, they know what they were looking for. They handled themselves in a certain type of way. Have you seen any common practices amongst people that have been handled in the NIL recruiting era a certain type of way?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. One, the kids and their high school coaches and the people around them, they're going through it for the first time as well right now. So they're trying to figure it out just from their perspective, just like we're trying to figure it out from our perspective. Um, ultimately, most most kids that go on to play college um, and, and then ultimately – from college to the NFL, it's a one-time process for them and their family. And it's always kind of been that way. It's been a one, it's what's, I've been through this many, many cycles now. I know how it typically goes, but a family might not know that. Um, And so they're learning it. But what's happened over time is they have a high school coach or they've got somebody else in their area that has seen it before and has helped, has been able to help guide them through the process. Hey, you should not just go to one school, you should take multiple visits hey, you know, don't just go on an official visit and think the place is the greatest place on earth because essentially they know what they're doing. When you come on an official visit here, we've done this before. We can make any place look good, you know? And so (laughs) they've had that support system. I think now what's going on is that those support systems are trying to figure out the best ways to do things. Um, I'll start with the ways that I think people and prospects maybe aren't going about it the right way. Okay. Um, and and this is way. this is for everybody's, you know, what they value and what they're looking for in a college experience is different. So a little bit of this might be just my own personal opinion. Um, but I think ultimately at Penn State, and, and I'm guessing at most other schools, you want the, the player and the, the student to be able to make as much money as they possibly can make. I, I don't think any of us now, I think there's a maybe a perception out there by some that, oh, you don't want the player to make money. I, I hope all our guys make a, a ton of money. I, I really do. But in the process, uh, I think you have to, when you go through the process, you, you have to separate that out. Um, what we found is, at least in the first you know year or two of this, the kids are probably doing a better job of that, separating it out and looking for what probably matters more than in some cases, the parents. Um, and in some cases, the, the people around them, um, because it's new, it's the new thing to talk about. It's, it becomes the main driving force for some people, um, as opposed to what's the right school for me? What's the right coaching staff for me? Uh, and then ultimately, hey, if the right school and the right coaching staff, the opportunity for money let's just make up fake numbers right now. Let's say it's at that, that right place. It feels right. The, the, I like the players on the team. I like the coaches. I like the school. It's got my major, all those things. If that opportunity is, let's just say, $10,000 a year.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and then another school that you like a, a little bit less, but not quite as much. I like the coaches pretty good. They're off. I don't say offering, but they, they've got an opportunity for you to make $5 million a year. I don't think anybody's going to begrudge a kid in a family who picks the second option there where I think people are making some mistakes is the numbers aren't life-changing numbers but the college experience can be a life-changing experience Um, it should be a life-changing experience really for anybody who goes to college if you do it the right way and really if you do it the wrong way one way or the other it's gonna be life-changing so go the way that's gonna be you know the positive life changing and yes money absolutely matters but don't get caught up in, in short term money that's in reality not changing yours or anybody else's life when that education, the people you're around can change your life. Um, so, the people that I'd say they're not the wrong way, the people are so focused on what's the dollar amount and they lose sight of trying to determine all the other things. The people that, that have seen it and do it the right way, they don't worry about that money piece until the end and they're comparing their 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 top top schools hey i'm down to these three four i like all i like all of them what's going to differentiate this one over that one if money is dramatically different based on what you think the current teams are making at both places then yes use use it as a as a maybe something you're going to consider but don't have it close off opportunities to yet you see too many kids right now because there's so much talk about NIL. There's a lot of fake numbers out there um, that they get caught up in that. Um, so that's something that I think there's a, regardless of what you all, it, and a $1,000 to one person is very different than a $1,000 to another person. And at the end of the day, you make your decision based on what that value is to you and your family. And I'm good with that, but Keep your mind open to the other things as well. Don't, don't shut them off. Because if you do, I, th- I think that's where bad decisions get made.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGSports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops Recruiting YouTube channel we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want to help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash blue academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening. Remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.